0: Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. The reading comes from Luke nineteen thirty seven to 44 Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they work to keep silent, the stones would cry out. As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come. The days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. They will not leave one stone on another in your midst, because they did not recognize the time when your God visited you.
1: Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. We ask that you come now and uh, sanctify us, set us apart, make us holy, make us more like Jesus in and because of your truth. Um, Lord, may these words um, be applied to our hearts so clearly and convincingly that we leave uh, changed, challenged, encouraged tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are actually uh, embarking on a new series Um, Tonight, some of you may have seen that show up on Facebook through the week. Um, This series is one that I hope is going to be really challenging and beneficial, encouraging, maybe even thought-provoking for us. It is called, uh, the title is, I Could Never Believe in a God Who… So fill in the blank. I could never believe in a God who, and so we're looking particularly at some specific objections that people have in our culture today, and some of us, we wrestle with these in our own hearts, to God, perhaps to God's existence, but more likely to God's nature. What is He actually like? Is what we hear, uh, you know, at church or what we read in the Bible, is that what He's actually like? And so we thought it would be good to start off this series. We did the same topic at Glenelg today uh, as we're doing here tonight, Uh, looking at this very question of how do we know what God is like when we can't see Him, when He is hidden from our eyes Because of the world that we live in, because of our finiteness and because of our experiences and because of a whole host of factors that really can leave us confused and even frustrated as to what God is actually like. A lot of people have this trouble with God. Maybe you've heard somebody say this before or you've said it yourself. Man, I would believe in God if he actually would just show himself. Like right now, if he was to appear in front of my eyes, I would then, I would believe in him. You know, we all have that inner Thomas in us. You know, I just want to touch you. If I touch you and I know that you're real, I can observe you with my eyes and hear you with my ears and touch you with my hands, then I would believe. But as it were, as a, in our experience, God is not visible to our eyes. He is hidden. He's hidden. And so a lot of us say, well, I can't believe in something that I can't see. And that be- becomes a particularly challenging when we experience the pain and randomness of life in the world. When we're going through difficult circumstances or an unexpected crisis or a tragedy, and God seems incredibly quiet, incredibly distant, and we cry out, we ask God, why? Where are you? Where were you in this? Where were you in that situation that we saw about in the news or when this thing happened to me? Where are you, God? You're hiding. That's where we're going tonight. I could never believe in a God who hides. You might wonder, does God really hide? Is that just kind of a sort of a cliche cop-out thing to say? Does God actually hide? The Bible says that He does. And something, actually, until I was preparing this sermon, I didn't realize how many times it does say that God hides. Um, the passage that you heard Tom read just a moment ago, it says explicitly in that passage that God is hidden from the eyes of the people in Jerusalem. And they saw Jesus in the flesh. And it says that he, God, is hidden from their eyes. Now, if you are an atheist or if you know someone who is, um, I suppose you could say the, the atheists have an e- the easier answer um, to this question of does God hide? Does God hide? I would say, well, no, he doesn't. The reason that you can't hear him and can't see him is because he doesn't exist, Um, I heard a story recently of a a guy who was an atheist, and he was a a uni student in uh, Britain, and he was at a Catholic school, and he used to love to taunt his uh, classmates who were believers. And so he would wait until, you, you know, they'd be out on the weekend, and it would be raining, as it does a lot in Britain, and they would go out, he would go out into the middle of the road, and he would yell in a loud voice, God, if you are here, I dare you to strike me down right now. And, you know, he'd watch his sort of classmates kind of back away, like not sure whether to look, not sure what's going to happen, you know, because, you know, in case some fire does fall down from heaven at that moment, you know, Elijah style, I don't really want to be near this guy. I don't want to get burned. Why did the fire never come? Well, according to this guy, because obviously there is no God. He doesn't hear. He's hiding because he doesn't exist. Case closed. Um, which reminds me of a classic scene. One of my favorite movies uh, growing up was uh, Home Alone. And if you have seen the movie before, you know there's that scene where the 10-year-old Kevin, he wakes up in the morning, and he had had this fight, this argument with his family the night before, and he just says, as he stomps up off to his room, he says, I I just want to make my family disappear. And then he wakes up in the morning, and and they're gone. And he starts to think, well, maybe it, it worked. Maybe I actually made them disappear. And now we, the audience, we know the real story, which is that you know, through some unfortunate series of events, his family was actually on a plane over the Atlantic Ocean um, and had left him behind. But in Kevin's mind, the, his, the only explanation that he had at that moment is that somehow his family, they were all hiding, and they were playing some elaborate trick on him to sort of get back at him for his um, you know, mischievous behavior. And we're all a little bit like 10-year-old Kevin in that scene. We look at the world, we look at our circumstances, and we have only a sort of a small subset of things that we want to believe are true. And we sometimes may hope, well, this is what, you know, our doubting atheist friends might say, that we might hope that there is some kind of supernatural being that we call God, That is sort of orchestrating or running the world, making sense of everything for us so that when things happen to us or happen in the world that seem unfair, random, painful, that we believe that we want to believe that there's some reason or some purpose behind it. We we really struggle with the idea of experiencing difficulty or seeing others experience difficulty and thinking, actually, There's no meaning in it at all. It's just the luck of the draw. It's just the fact that we live in a chaotic, random world, and we just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, and that's all that there is to it. We naturally, as humans, we want to find meaning and purpose. And so a lot of folks will say, well, that's actually where this whole idea of God came from. It, It was just humans trying to find meaning and purpose in the brutality of life. Uh, Because we we just can't cope with the fact, with the actual truth, which is that there is no meaning and that God's not there. He's not hiding. But the funny thing is, is that the majority of people, and this is not an argument, but it's the majority of people, it's just a reality, are not convinced uh, by the doubters. Most scholars predict that the 21st century will be actually more religious than the 20th, the one we just finished. Less secular. It's an interesting thing that the world becomes more affluent, more educated, and more religious at the same time. It's a bit counterintuitive to what the narrative we often hear. Why is that? Is it just too hard for us as humans to shake off the warm blanket of a personal God that makes sense of all the difficulties and randomness of life? Or could it be that human beings actually find the case for God more compelling than the case for atheism. Could it be that old African Saint Augustine was right when he wrote that our hearts are restless until we find rest in him, the God who might be hiding, but who is actually there? Most people that you know are not actually atheists. Even people who don't claim any religious affiliation are very slow to reject the idea of God altogether. Most people are open. Most people want to believe. But they might say, and we might say, there's just so much we don't know, so much uncertainty as to what God is actually like because we can't see him. We don't know how he works. You know, we hear people say, talk like this, even in the church, who say, oh, you know, this, you know God said this to me. God told me to do that, or I saw God, or I had this near-death experience, or I saw angels, and and the inner skeptic in all of us go, yeah, but how do you really know? I mean, that sounds nice. If that works for you, great. But that's really where most of us are. We're not like hardcore atheists. We just don't really know what we don't know. One religion says this, another religion says that, and it can be really frustrating. And so some people, a lot of people, just tune out of the discussion altogether and say, well, I'll figure it out when I get close to death. But then death tends to sneak up on us quicker than we'd like it to. And not just the death of old age, but tragedy, disability, disease, despair, the ugly realities of life come knocking. And it's at these points that we find ourselves looking to God for answers, the diagnosis comes, it's not good. God, if you're real, I need you to show up now. That's where so many of us find ourselves, in those moments. I can't believe in you unless you show yourself now. Don't hide from me. So this is not just an academic question. It's not abstract. For, for many of us, and some of you who have been there, and I've been there, it's, it's very real, very personal, and, and often very urgent. Have you ever felt that God is hiding from you? If you have, I want to tell you that you're in good company. Because as I said before, the Bible talks about this a lot. In fact, some of the so-called saints in the Bible express their own experience. They describe their own experience of feeling that God is hiding his face from them. It's all over the Psalms. Psalm 102 is just one example. Psalm 102 starts with this subheading. A prayer of a suffering person who is weak and pours out his lament before the Lord. Listen to his words, or maybe her words, we don't know. Lord, hear my prayer. Let my cry for help come before you. Do not hide your face from me in my day of trouble. Listen closely to me. Answer me quickly when I call, for my days vanish like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is suffering, withered like grass. I even forget to eat my food. Because of the sound of my groaning, my flesh sticks to my bones. See, these are not the words of somebody who is an intellectual debater and just wanting to crush the very idea of God. This is somebody who, in agony, cannot see or find God. God, where are you? And I wonder if you've been there before. I wonder if you know someone who's been there before or someone who's there right now. What may even seem to you or like a light suffer- you know, suffering compared to someone or something else, even in that, may feel like God is hiding from you. You just don't understand what he's doing. Maybe he's even secretly just rolling his eyes at you, going, oh, how could you be so Oh, you know, maybe some of us feel that way about God. I can never believe in a God like that, but sometimes I wonder why God hides from me. Earlier, we read in Luke 19 where Jesus says explicitly that God, the truth, the gospel, is hidden from the people in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying that. He's not celebrating that that's the case, he's weeping. He's lamenting. He's mourning. He's weeping over their blindness to see what was right in front of their eyes, what they should have seen. And now as a result of their not seeing, judgment is coming. Their fate is sealed. Why? Jesus said because they did not recognize God when he showed up. I didn't recognize God when he showed up. And I I want to put it to you again tonight that we are much like the people of Jerusalem. Your neighbors, the people you know. We're all waiting for God to show up, but somehow we don't, we miss him. We don't see him when he comes. Because why? We often look in the wrong places. We look in the wrong places. If you haven't already, you'll face a day When just like the writer of the psalm we read a moment ago, when God feels distant, absent, hidden. And in those times, we want security, we want answers, we want a place where we can kind of just get our footing, even for a second as the waves are crashing. And it's in those moments that God absolutely wants to be found. He wants for you to reach out to him. He wants your neighbors to reach out to him in those moments. And he is not far, as Paul says in Acts 17, he's not far from any one of us. I want to make three observations from the text that we read in Luke 19 that highlight some of the places where we often go looking for God. And I want to say I'm partially indebted for these insights to a, a preacher called Grant Thorpe. Who gave a brilliant talk on this idea of the hidden God in Sydney a few years ago? And his main point, and ours tonight, is that yes, God hides, but the reason he hides is so that we find him where he wants to be found. So let's look at first at three places where we often look for God. Number one, we look for God in our circumstances. We look for God in our circumstances. Back in Luke 19, verse 37. Jesus, here's the scene. Jesus is riding on a donkey. If you know the story, he's riding into Jerusalem just one week before he's going to be put on trial and executed on the cross. Nobody except Jesus really knows what's coming. And it says in, that, in verse 37 that the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles They had seen, and they start quoting a psalm, Psalm 118 to be exact. Jesus' miracles attracted huge crowds. Uh, The people were often amazed by Jesus' miracles. You know, kind of the way that if you had a front row seat to watch LeBron James play basketball, that was what it was like for these guys watching Jesus cast out demons and heal the sick. And give sight to the blind and raise the dead. They were only a couple of meters away. They had front row seats. And they wanted more because this was like a once in a lifetime thrill to watch. Now, for some, Jesus' miracles were more than a cool show, they bore the fingerprints of God because only God can heal the sick, only God can open the blind- eyes of the blind, only God can raise the dead. Victory, breakthrough, peace, prosperity. Jesus was dunking on the devil, and they wanted more. They were cheering. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then down in verse 41, verse 42, Jesus is weeping. Not just for his opponents, the Pharisees, but for the whole city of Jerusalem, for everyone. He's talking about everyone here, including the crowds that were cheering for him. Because the whole city seems to be blind, even those who were flocking to get a look at Jesus. The whole city would soon desert him at his execution. Even his closest friends would abandon him. Why? Because even though they saw Jesus dunking on the devil, as it were, up close, they saw God in that, in the wind, What happens when it looks like God himself has abandoned Jesus on the cross? Well, they must have gotten it wrong. That can't be God. God doesn't suffer. God can't be humiliated like that. God can't die. They looked for God on the mountaintop, but they never looked for him in the pit. And just even so, even the disciples, just days after this scene unfolds, they sink into despair and fear. What about us? You see, we see evidence of God in our circumstances, or we like to think that we do. We talk this way all the time. When stuff goes well, especially if there's like some kind of seeming coincidence in your life and, some, and just this, everything falls in place, you've had something you've been praying for for a long time and, and just. It's just amazing how it works out just in the right time or just in the right way. Or somebody, you know, you were feeling really low, and at just that moment, somebody comes and encourages you with a word or something, you know, and we say, oh, that was so God. We're so ready to see God in those little small coincidences and victories. And I'm not denying that God is providentially in control of those circumstances. But we find it much, much harder to say the same thing when those coincidences don't seem to work out in our favor, when answers don't come, when depression or anxiety or prayer goes unanswered, on and on and on and on. And where is God in that? You see, we might find God in these so-called God moments, but God moments don't last all the time. Questions keep coming back, and we don't find God. He's hidden in our circumstances. So where else do we look to find God? We look to find God in our conduct, in our conduct. Let's look at the Pharisees in this account in Luke 19. They were looking for God, not necessarily in their circumstances, but in their conduct. They were kind of like the Mary Poppins of their day. They were practically perfect in every way. And even Jesus acknowledged it. They were super righteous. They kept the laws, and the laws around the laws, and the laws around those. And they fasted, and they prayed. They tithed. They observed the Sabbath. They knew the Bible. And that's why they were so upset with this crowd of disciples that was singing Psalm 118. You can't sing that to a man. That's a song about God. How dare you take a a song that's a worship song about God and sing it to a man. Tell your disciples, Jesus, to to shut up. What are they doing? You know, they're they're the ones that are sitting there thinking God's going to rain down fire and consume them all. You can't talk like that. The Pharisees were doing here what they were trained to do. See, they assumed that God would show up if they were good enough, and if the people around them were good enough. That's when God would show up and bless them and show His face. See, people like this, you, they might be able to withstand difficult circumstances, trials, Because they trust that they will find God at the end of a life of good works. Even a painful life. But a life lived well will find God at the end. And many of us actually are much more like the Pharisees than we think. We're functional legalists. If we're faithful to keep God's law, then he rewards our faithfulness with blessing. But there's a problem. What if God is so holy and so perfect and so just that His standard of righteousness is too high for anybody to ever attain? Nobody is perfect. We say that all the time. At some point, we all stumble over some aspect of God's law. Everyone will fall short. Even seemingly noble or generous people like Gandhi or Mother Teresa, surely God rewards people like that, and yet Like everyone else, they all die. All of us face death and decay. There's no amount of goodness that will guarantee anyone a decent standard of living or eternal life. People like us, we think, you know, if we work hard enough, that we will automatically, by virtue of our efforts, have a decent standard of living we'll be comfortable, we'll be safe, but in the end, does it matter? Because no matter how respected you are, how successful you are in life, you still, you and I, will still die. No one has ever been good enough to find God and live forever. No one. God is not found in your good conduct. Third place that we look for Him, we look for God in creation. We look for God in creation, and we're not actually far off because the Bible itself says that creation proclaims or declares or speaks truth about God. He made it, and we see his fingerprints on it. Just like, you know, if you have some kind of family heirloom in your, you know, Some piece of furniture or something that was made by someone in your family, you might look at that piece of furniture and say, that piece of furniture has the marks or the fingerprints of the person who made it. We look at that item and we think of the one who made it. That's what the Bible says about creation is that we look at what God has made, including us, humans, and we can understand some things about God. We see His fingerprints. But do we find Him? Paul tells us in Romans, you, know, if you, you may know this verse, that God's invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. So should we be looking in creation to find God? Go back to Luke 19. Jesus makes an interesting statement to the Pharisees in verse 40. They want him to silence his disciples who are worshiping him. And Jesus says to them emphatically, He says, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Which is kind of a strange thing to say, Jesus. Creation here, in the form of stones, which are part of creation, Jesus says, these stones are the backup worship band. They're the understudies. If these humans can't do what they're meant to, which is praise Jesus. Then the stones will come in to back up. But they don't have to, at least not here, because the people were doing what they were designed to do. Creation, you see, other than human beings, is not quite up to the task of singing praise to God with specific reverence, ascribing to him the worth that he is due Only humans have the ability to speak the way that God spoke creation into existence. You might be able to go out on a clear night and look up at the stars and recognize how small you are, recognize how powerful God is, how big he is, how beautiful he is. But there's as much that we don't understand about God there's as much that we can't wrap our minds around by simply looking at creation. We need a spoken word to us that can explain what this all means. Can we find God in the rocks and the trees? Well, yes and no. No. Paul goes on to say in Romans 1 that we have a pretty long track record as humans of not only looking to creation to find God, but looking to creation as a substitute for God. We see him or see evidence of him in creation, and then instead of going further to find out and seek him, we give up and just worship what we see. Ultimately, we can't find God simply by looking at creation. So, is God simply a myth, a vapor, wishful thinking? If not, then why does he seem to hide? Why can't we find him in our ever-changing circumstances? Why can't we find him in living a good and righteous life in our conduct? Why can't we find him in creation? If God is real, why can't we find him, and where can we find him? If he's hiding, If in his hiding, he wants to be found, where do we go to find him and how do we get there? Again, back in Luke 19, Jesus there is weeping over Jerusalem because the God who wants so much to save the people of Jerusalem and to save you and me from coming judgment is now hidden from them. The very stones that Jesus said might, would cry out in worship are now part of this judgment nightmare. He talks about the stones in Jerusalem the falling on people and crushing them. Where is God in all of this? Jesus says he was right in front of their eyes the whole time. Listen to the words that they sang. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, King Jesus, but they did not recognize him as king. They did not recognize him as Lord. They rejected him. They crucified him. Why? God was hiding in plain sight. He was the one they were waiting for. Why couldn't they see? The Bible gives us the answer, and it's one that we find maybe hard to receive, but the answer the Bible gives is the reason they couldn't see is because they did not want to see We don't want to see. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve first sinned against God's word, when they went looking for meaning outside of God's word, thinking that God was withholding joy and happiness from them in his instruction not to eat the fruit, and so they went outside of God's word, and they said, we're going to go look for joy and happiness where we think it is rather than where he says it is. And they ate the fruit, and their eyes were open. And what did they do Immediately. What is the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they went after they ate the fruit? They hid. And that's the irony in all of this. We who are so quick to assume that God is hiding from us, it is actually we who hide from God. And it's God that comes looking for you. But see, unlike God, when we hide, we don't want to be found. We are afraid and ashamed. We don't seek God. Jesus exposed all of this in John 3. He said, the reason we don't come to the light as he is in the light is because we love the darkness. Because in the darkness, we think there's freedom. There's joy. We still we st- we still have drank the poison that adam and eve did all the way back then we think that true happiness true joy is outside of god's word and that's where we go looking god says i will not be found there i will not be found outside of my word i will not be found outside of how i choose to reveal myself to you and he does he comes looking so you were not a seeker You were a hider, and God came seeking you. He came near to you. He looked for you. He knew exactly where you were. And it was his joy to come find you when you were dead and bring you to life. You could not cope with your circumstances. I could not survive. And in that state, he found us we would have stayed there, would he not have spoken his powerful, life giving word over us and given us new life? Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Long ago, God spoke. God's a speaking God, that's key. We need his word to survive, not dreams and visions, not signs in the sky, not good vibes, but his actual words. And long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last or final days, he's talking about now, he has spoken, there it is again, he's speaking, he has spoken to us how? By his son. God has appointed him. Heir of all things, and made him made or sorry made the universe through him. The sun, listen to this, is the radiance or light of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful word. What's He saying? You want to see God? You look to the sun. You look to Jesus. After making purifications for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, God has shown himself fully and completely in Jesus. He's not hiding. He's Lord of creation. He made it. He's Lord of your circumstances. He sustains everything it says, all circumstances, by his powerful word and his perfect righteous conduct. That's Jesus' conduct. Is the means by which he made purification for your sins. For your failed conduct. For my failed conduct. How did he do it? By submitting himself to death. The very thing that we can't escape. So that death no longer has any power over those who believe. On the cross... The justice and the mercy of God are on full display in the broken body of Jesus. And we're going to remember and celebrate that in just a moment. On the cross, all of the powers of sin and evil are totally defeated and humiliated. On the cross, the God of the universe says to you, here I am. Come to me and be satisfied forever. The unbelieving heart looks at the cross and says, I could never believe in a God like that. The believing heart looks at the cross and like John Stott was known to say, I could never believe in a God without the cross. For there on the cross is the full light and glory of God on display. The exact expression of who he is Nothing hidden, fully revealed. Let me say a word in closing to those of us who are wrestling with God because of pain. I don't know what that pain is for you, but maybe it's brought up a lot of questions in your mind. I want to encourage you again tonight that God is near to you in that pain. He has shown himself, not just to the world in the abstract, but to you. He didn't just make purifications for the sins of the world on the cross, but for yours. He doesn't just love the world in general, but loves you personally, specifically, intimately. He took your pain, your shame, and your hurt. The tears that he was weeping for Jerusalem were for you as well. So look to the cross, look to the cross. There God is not hiding. He may hide in your circumstances. He may hide in your efforts to be good. He may hide in creation. But at the cross, Christ fully revealed. If you're a Christian, we're gonna remember now why you are a Christian. Not because of your circumstances not because of your conduct, but because of Christ crucified. His broken body and blood, not hidden, but revealed. So I invite you to come back and cling to the cross tonight. God is there. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the cross. Thank you that that is so true, that On the cross, you show us your love, love for even your enemies. Lord, that while we were still your enemies, there you died for us that we might live for you. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to see you. And remember you in these elements, in the, in the bread and in the juice. Help us to see you fully alive. May that comfort our hearts tonight. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.